Welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Edward Assel. I'm sitting here with Arthur Black, as always. Hello, hello. And today, our guest is the whiskey professor, Bernie Lubbers. Hello. How are y'all doing? We're doing great. Awesome. Good, good, good. Great to have you in Indianapolis, man. Uh, you know, last time you were through, I didn't get to catch you. You were at uh, Thunderbird doing your uh, whiskey and bluegrass. Yeah, actually. Uh, bourbon and bluegrass. Yeah, bourbon and bluegrass, yeah, with Hickory, my buddy Hickory, a great bluegrass musician, and... and uh, Something we do at uh, Camp Runamuck every year, and, and we asked to uh, come up here, but Josh asked us to come up, and we raised some money for a good cause and uh, had a great time. His first name's Hickory? Yeah, you know, when, you're, when your name's Hickory, you guess you got to be a bluegrass musician. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. There are no options at that point, you know. <laughs> yeah, what can we rule out? Uh, pole dancing? No. <laughs> Attorney? Probably not. Bluegrass. Bluegrass, yeah. Mandolin. Try the mandolin. Yeah. Not going to be the most famous ballet dancer in Russia. Not so much. <laughs> Um, well, we start off every episode, and I have a feeling I, ha- I know how you're going to answer this, but we start every episode off with, what did you drink last night, Bernie? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> it's uh, what we're having right now. Uh, yeah? We have, uh, had some Evan Williams uh, bottle and bond last night, along with some um, a banquet beer back, So, which is uh, back home, they call that my water back. Okay, <laughs> Not just that brand, but um, if sure. I have a beer in the back, you know, was, was, do you want a water back? And I always go, sure. And if they give me a, like a real water, I'm like, no, I meant a Bernie. <laughs> beer. A, a Come on, beer. Really. <laughs> and my dad um, worked at a brewery for 45 years, and my grandfather was one of the founders of that brewery in 1905. He was uh, one of 13 German saloon keepers that started uh, the brewery, and it's called Fall City Brewing Company. So if you've ever heard of Fall City Beer. That's uh, right, downtown, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's my dad's ring. says 45 years of service oh, on wow. it. And uh, so he was there 45 years. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I like beer as well. But um, These are all the great visuals for the listeners. Right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, I was drinking this last night because uh, we have a great jazz night uh, on Monday nights. Oh, uh, I saw Louisville. that. Yeah. You put uh, something on Instagram or Facebook or something. Yeah, and so I it's that. every Monday night. It's just great. Some of the best jazz musicians in town and get together and jam. And, and uh, it's at, at a place called Deca right in Nulu, as, as you were asking about. We were talking about and, Nulu um, earlier. Good little bourbon selection. So I was, I was, uh, I was sipping right. on some of this. What did you have, Arthur? I drank a, uh, what I have? Let me um, guess, grower champagne. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I was drinking wine. Um, I had a bottle left over that I polished off of um, a really kick-ass New Zealand Syrah from the North Island called Mai Mai's Producer. And everybody thinks that New Zealand is all about Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir, and they are. But, like, listeners, if you haven't had Syrah from New Zealand, specifically Hawksbane and North, North Island, they're just sexy, just precise, sharp, new world representations of Syrah. And it, it was killer. I did that while looking over a lecture and uh, watching Spartacus. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I was catching up <laughs> on television last night, and I, I guess I will be the non-surprising one then. Uh, I had the 2003 uh, Rum JM from Martinique. Uh, really a beautiful expression. I was actually, I, I had never really looked at the bottling date. Um, I thought it was a year younger than it actually is. It was just bottled uh, this spring. Um, it's a really beautiful rum from Martinique, northern part of Martinique, um, volcanic soil, et cetera. But we've talked about that at length Agricole, in the past. Agricole, I assume. But yeah, agricole, aged agricole, 13 years in the barrel. Um, beautiful, just really wonderful rum, but not my least expensive bottle on the shelf, so I don't <laughs> tap into it all that often. <laughs> what, uh, what TV were you catching up on? Uh, I needed to watch um, Westworld. Got it. Um, yeah, I've been watching all that. And then um, 
Walking Dead. So there was a really kick-ass skit on Saturday Night Live recently that played on the Westworld thing. It was like it showed like all the CNN news commentators. And they just kind of kept going through a loop and a loop about, I can't believe Trump did that, or I can't believe he said that. And people walking past it, and they went through this loop like five times, and all of a sudden, all of them kind of shut down like they were robots. And then the, the dudes came out from Westworld and like reprogrammed them and put them back on, on track. Nice. It's like nice. Pretty, pretty solid. Well, let's get down to it. Let's drink some bourbon. I mean, we were already drinking bourbon. Doing it. You Cheers. said you're not drinking much, but I don't believe that. Whatever. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> you're a regular listener of the show you know damn well that arthur's not going to have an ounce of bourbon during this recording no i'll have two or three um but uh bernie is a brand ambassador right yes um and obviously i mean just in the your beginning sort of discussion about what we're actually drinking i'm like holy shit strap in this is this is going to be an interesting podcast (laughs) so so. (laughs) oh yeah yeah uh, no doubt no doubt we're gonna break with the norm and we typically try to stay boring so yeah, um, tell us um, who you're a brand ambassador for, a little bit about what you do, a given day, all that kind of stuff, and then we'll, we'll bounce into to, to bourbon sure. talk and break down whiskey. Absolutely. Well, I'm uh, proud to work for uh, the, the largest family-owned, family-operated distillery in the United States. That's uh, Heaven Hill Distilleries. We're out of Louisville, Kentucky, and we have our aging facilities and bottling facility in Bartstown, Kentucky. I'm born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky, so it's nice to work at a hometown, hometown company with uh, hometown folks. So, and I, um, so what Heaven Hill makes is uh, Evan Williams, the number two selling bourbon in the world behind Jim Beam. Uh, it's the, clearly, the, solidly the number two, growing at 15% per year. So, um, you know, people are always kind of surprised about that because, uh, I mean, Bourbon's that makes, hot, it, man. I mean, it's that so makes hot. it bigger than uh, Maker's Mark, makes it bigger than Wild Turkey, you know, phenomenal bourbons. But people don't think of Evan Williams, so and they need to think about it more because it's really becoming a thing. Um, Evan Williams is our big flagship, uh, flag, flagship brand, if you will. And then we have Elijah Craig. Uh, we have Bernheim Wheat Whiskey. We have a Mellow Corn Corn Whiskey. We have uh, Elijah Craig Small Batch. Um, we have um, Elijah Craig Single Barrels, 18 and 23-year-old. We have some phenomenal, larceny. great Larceny, uh, Rittenhouse Rye. And we also had a great uh, series called Parker's, which comes out every year. Uh, so um, I call Heaven Hill the... Biggest, we're like the Reno, Nevada of distilleries. We're the biggest little distillery in the world. I mean, so, and all those are made at your facility? At your downtown property. Louisville, Kentucky at 17th of Breckeridge at the Bernheim facility at, uh, d- uh, at our distillery. And then uh, it's, it's uh, aged, and we put it in barrels and age it in our aging facilities in uh, the surrounding areas of Bardstown. How many distilleries in Louisville are there? Or oh Kentucky. gosh, uh, you know I got to count now. So, <laughs> you know, there's a, we just uh, one just started uh, a couple weeks ago. Angels Envy just started making a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so we got Angels Envy. You got Peerless. You've got us at Evan Williams at Sixth uh, and um, Main, which is our artisanal distillery. Then you got uh, our main distillery at Seventeenth and Breckenridge. Next door to that, you have a Brown Foreman, the Early Times Plant, DSB three fifty four. Then you got the Epicenter. Probably about a dozen or so. Uh, in Louisville, that's about it. In Louisville, that's like seven. Probably forgetting one. I mean, when I started in this business, there were 10 in the state. Now there's over 30. Wow. So there you go. That answers your question about <laughs> bourbon growth. <laughs> it does. It does. So, uh, but yeah, so it's a great company to work for as a saver family owner, family operated. So it makes it really cool. Um, their mission statement is to make every style of American whiskey. So sure, we make the, we make the second largest bourbon um, brand in the world at Evan Williams, and we're the second largest holders of bourbon aging bourbon barrels. Um, but don't forget, we got we're one of the largest makers of rye whiskey, which is you know 
probably a hotter category than, than bourbon. Uh, wheat whiskey, we were, we, we were the first to make a wheat whiskey uh, before anybody else was making it. Uh, we first started making it in 2001. Um, we make corn. We're the only major distillery that makes an aged corn whiskey. Really? Uh, yeah. Everybody used to. Well, I mean, I know like the corn whiskey thing is a lot of that's a lot of smaller distillers are doing that because you don't have sure. to age it, so it's immediate revenue. You you make your whiskey and bam, mm-hmm. you got your you know your sure. white dog, you got your your moonshine, whatever. Sure. Um, I didn't realize that so few um, larger houses or, or historically like relevant houses that go back that far aren't making corn whiskey. Yeah, well, you know, they make a lot. You make a lot of corn whiskey for blending things like that, right. but uh, we're the only ones that are aging it. So we have mellow corn. We have Georgia Moon, which is our unaged, and then we have a mellow corn, which is our aged. Um, Bernie's yeah. wearing a mellow corn shirt now, and I'm out. super jealous of it. I, I love that. <laughs> Children of the corn. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, you know, and, and these are brands that are small. You know, the mellow corn, I could, you know, we're family owned, so I don't know the numbers. You know, they don't have, they don't, they don't, I, I really don't know how many cases of things we sell. Um, I know what Evan Williams sells over 2 million a year, so I know that number. But um, I think we, that's right around 10,000 cases or less of mellow corn. And you got to really take your hat off to a company that's like, you know, why are you screwing around with a little brand like that? Yeah. You know? Yeah, why and bother? And it's, you know, $15 or less a bottle. You know, how much profit can be in that? But it's the family loves that we make mellow corn. And they're also, they're really, they feel like they are the keepers and we are the keepers of some historic labels. Um, otherwise, these labels would go away and you'd never, never see them again. It would make more sense when we came out with an extra aged um, rye which was our pikesville it would have made more sense from a business standpoint to 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 uh, to drive business to make that elijah craig rye you know or to make right, it yeah. evan williams rye you know but we have rittenhouse which everybody loves rittenhouse uh, uh but you know that's its own historic brand but we actually owned pikesville before we owned rittenhouse and it's always been our owner's goal is to do something special with Pikesville, and we just until recently we, we only sold that in Baltimore. It was a three-year-old, eighty-proof rye, only available in D.C. and Baltimore area. Um, but now we came out with a, its own cool small batch, six-year-old, hundred and ten-proof Pikesville, which is just amazing. One uh, number two whiskey in the world last year, Jim Murray. So you know, it's it's really cool to work for a company that loves the history and digs that we have mellow corn the label hasn't yeah. changed since 1945 and and it's it just it's it's really cool they, they 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 take as much joy and as much pleasure uh selling a barrel of me- a mellow corn than you do a, a barrel of elijah craig so like already you've mentioned um corn whiskey you've said rye whiskey you've said bourbon um all exciting like arenas especially like north american whiskey like mm-hmm. there's just so much happening in the whiskey world right now but i think there's a lot of people out there that don't really get exactly what whiskey is, and then the subcategories or subgenres within. Sure. So, if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of like tackle whiskey, and then maybe we can rattle off some of the differences between well, yeah, Scotch, I to Irish? Because well, a lot of people say I don't like, I love whiskey, but I don't like Scotch, and it's right. like that makes no sense. Scotch well, is even whiskey. going beyond that, like even <laughs> I don't just, like sour mash, but I like. Uh, but I like, uh, you know, uh, Evan Williams. Right. Oh, wait a minute, it's sour mash too. Heading into like American whiskey, I mean, there's enough confusion there. And, you know, like we look at this label and, you know, we work in the industry and we can read this label pretty clearly. But the differences between whiskey and 
bourbon, and then you go even one step further, further into bottle and bond. Right, right. That's where <laughs> a lot of confusion comes. So maybe you can clarify that for some of the listeners right, so, out there. Yeah, let's do whiskey. I know, you, I know you've never done it be once confused or again in your life. Okay? Oh, whiskey, a- bourbon, <laughs> and then other types of whiskey, and then we'll, we'll work our way to things like bottled and bonds. So the, the more esoteric. If the things. listeners out there, if they would pick up a pick up a uh, any bottle of uh, of bourbon, right? Especially if you have a bottle of bottle and bond at home. So if you have a bottle and bond bourbon, go grab it right now. We'll wait uh, a little bit. But I've got a <laughs> bottle of Evan Williams bottle and bond that you all have on the table here. So. I describe these words on labels, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, those four foundation words, I describe those as like Boy Scouts earning badges or military men and women earning medals. Um, you have to earn them. You have to do certain things to earn the right to put these words on a label. Just like if you learn how to build a fire as a, as a, as a Boy Scout, you, you got to learn how to do it. You got to demonstrate that you know how to do it. And then you get the badge and you wear it with pride. If you're an expert marksman in the military, you have to demonstrate that. Then you get a medal and you wear it with pride. So these are, these are designations and medals that you earn. Whiskey. Whiskey is the broad category. We're not just vodka. We're not just a neutral grain spirit. We're a whiskey. And whiskey is, is, is uh, made from any grain anywhere in the world, distilled up to any proof. In our world, that's 190 proof. It's about as high as you can distill any, anything. I just described vodka, right? So what makes it different? Whiskey further has to be aged in oak. Starts becoming whiskey at that point, but it further uh, states that it has to look, smell, and taste like whiskey. In order to do that, because I've just made kind of like neutral game Everclear, I just described right, Everclear yeah. too, uh, I can add things. I can add colors and flavors and sugars to make it look and smell and taste like whiskey, and then I must bottle it at no less than 40% alcohol. If I follow those rules... I can put whiskey on a label. Mm-hmm. All right. So whiskey, just like many other types of spirits, are just a genre of distillate of spirits. So you got gin, you got vodka, you got rum, mm-hmm. and then whiskey is its genre with the criteria that Bernie just went through. Right. Then the next word here is bourbon. So it can't be made anywhere from any grain, distilled up to any proof. Bourbon must be made in the United States of America. It's America. America. Okay. Uh, bourbon specifically, um, and that's then, our that's our national spirit, right? It's a, it is the it is the distinctive spirit of the United States. So it, if you if it's bourbon, you can't make bourbon in Scotland. You can't make just like you can't make a Scotch whiskey in Japan. That's called Japanese whiskey, even though it's made about the same way. Mm-hmm. Now I can't make rye whiskey anywhere. I can't make corn whiskey anywhere. But bourbon specifically has to be made in the United States of America. And yes, that does include Hawaii and Alaska. The last time I looked, that's part of the United States of America. Okay. <laughs> I get that question all the time. Why wouldn't it be? It's part of the U.S. <laughs> a lot of people like don't realize that bourbon is a subcategory, and a lot of people mm-hmm. think bourbon only comes from Kentucky. And right. It, it's not. And have- 97% of it does and still will, but uh, it can be made anywhere in the United States. And right now it's probably being made in almost every, every uh, state of the Union. It can't, it's not just any grain. It's specifically corn, so it has to be the majority grain corn. So that, in our world, means fi- at least 51% of the mash bill has to be corn. Um, so it's not any grain. It's not anywhere in the world. It's 51% corn in the United States of America. And uh, it must be distilled at no more than 160 proof. So that's lower than the 190. Um, don't worry about numbers. The lower you distill something to, the, the more of that base uh, uh, material you're going to taste. 
Right, because you're not going to have to dilute it down to bottling strength. At, yeah, right. yeah. If you, the higher you distill something, the more right. you distill out of it. The word distill means to strip away. So, yep. you know, so the, if the lower you distill, we bring everything off the still at um, Heaven Hill at around 135 proof. Yeah. So that's even way under yeah. the, it's the industry standard right now for sure. everybody. Yeah. Um, I love the you're numbers. you're really going to taste, you know, the flavor of that corn that's in there. Right. Then, uh, it's not just oak, brand new charred oak. So it has to be brand new barrel and has to be charred on the inside, which means the, in, the wood must catch fire. That's what charred means. So it's, once it catches fire, it's going to cause those sugars to really rush that area and really be an aggressive, aggressive uh, process there. So brand new and charred, and it must be stored at no more than 125 proof. Do you hear all these restrictions? So that takes a lot to earn that badge. If I follow all those rules, I can put the word bourbon on the label. And 125 proof is that's just kind of the standard ideal proof for that's assimilation the highest, of flavor. It's the high, you can put it in the barrel lower, but you can't put it in any higher than that. Got Legally. It. Legal. By law. These are federal laws by the, uh, regulated by the TTB, the Tax and Trade Bureau. Used to be the, the, uh, the uh, firearms. Uh, it was ATF. Uh, yeah, ATF. Now it's TTB. Post 9-11, it went mm-hmm. to um, TTB. Then there's the word straight. Straight means it must, uh, it must be uh, follow all the rules of whatever comes after that. So if it's straight bourbon whiskey, it must follow all the rules of bourbon. And further, straight means it must be stored in the types of wooden containers for that, you know, bourbon or, or bourbon. corn whiskey or, or rye right. whiskey or whatever it is, um, for a minimum of two years. Because... I didn't say it. it doesn't specify how long bourbon has to be aged. You can age it, like Jimmy Russell says at Wild Turkey. It's the he has the fifteen fifteen rule. If you doesn't say barrels, it just says wood, right? So you can age if you age the distillate bourbon distillate in a brand new charred oak bucket for fifteen seconds or carry it fifteen feet. You got bourbon. Right? I like that marketing. Like I, I can can see like a hot model, hot girl walking through a. A warehouse gone. We I'm going to turn this into bourbon. The finest buckets <laughs> right. that are charred. Take a hell of a lot of buckets. So, <laughs> yeah, talk about a bucket brigade. That's a good <laughs> uh, Straight and only pure water added. Only. So pure water. So I can't add the caramel colors and flavors and sugars like I could with whiskey. Right? And is that distilled water? Is that well water? Is that? It says pure water only. So that's the that's what the law states. We all use as an industry. We all use um, what's called DI, uh, which is um, uh, uh, d- distilled. It's a distilled. Okay, uh, distilled, uh, distilled processed water. water. Uh, I'll think of the word in a second. DI. No, I'll think of that. It's just. Uh, I'll think of it in a second. But we call it DI water, which stands for something that I can't remember right now. <laughs> It'll come to me in a few minutes. Trust me. At the next. Ten- it tends to happen after a few right. glasses of bourbon. <laughs> Fred No describes DI water as. We take everything out of it but the wet. <laughs> and that's what we do to bring things down to proof for, you know, barreling proof or bottling proof. Deionized water. Bang. There you go. <laughs> Michael Beach was calling in right now. <laughs> and uh, straight is also, or just a, another thing on aging. So mm-hmm. straight is a minimum two years. But uh, isn't there a rule like if it's aged under four, they have to have an age statement? That's a labeling law. Got it. Uh, this is the words here, but yes, there is a label. There are labeling laws that state that anything under four years old must carry an age statement. Anything four years or older, it's optional. The word Kentucky. I think the word straight in Kentucky mean things now mean more than they have in decades 
or almost ever. Um, Kentucky, it's not only the state of distillation as the federal law requires. Um, so if you, if you distill it and age it in Kentucky, you can put Kentucky on there. If it's in, made in Indiana, if it's distilled and aged in Indiana, you put Indiana on there. Um, but Kentucky means a lot, I think, not just, I may be a little biased, but we got the good water, so we got the limestone water, which, you know, that's a, I mean, they got it down in Tennessee, got a little bit up here, so, you know, is that the biggest thing? Well, no, it's, but it's not everywhere. Right. right. Not everywhere. You, you got to have good water, but you can take care of water, okay? But I'll just ask this question. Would you rather have Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey or Florida straight bourbon whiskey? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was thinking about that when right you said there. the Indiana. I'm like, I love my home state, yeah, but yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be reaching for the Indiana yeah. bourbon whiskey on the shelf. So right the there, store. you know, it, you're it thinking takes of that. Time. If it were on the label. It, it now, sometimes time. we can get to we'll, that, but we'll, sometimes we'll get it's not there, on the label. You know. So right, you know, and you think, you know, if you know the water down there, the water sucks in, in Florida. But, you know, you can take care of water, you know. So, so but still. <laughs> Swamp water whiskey. Yeah, but you can, you can clean up water. But I don't even know if I want North Dakota straight bourbon whiskey, right? Because we here in the middle of the country, we get over 100 degrees in July and August, and we get below zero in the, in the wintertime. We have a lot of spring and a lot of fall. Florida is going to have a lot of hot, so it's going to suck uh, into that wood, but it's not going to get cold, so it's not going to move out of that barrel back into the barrel and not going to have a lot of movement in and out of that wood. And that's where you get this great aging. Right? So the barrels don't really breathe in different climates. That's why... Kentucky right. is really kind of this ideal geographic stripe where you get a lot of breathability, which is picking up notes from the wood. Sure. You know, so we call it kind of soakage. It soaks into the wood, then soaks back out of the wood. You know, you don't get that in Florida. It's going to age much differently in Florida. Yeah, you get less extraction. Bourbon, but, you know, uh, in North Dakota, it's going to be all into the barrel and not in sucked up into the wood because it gets cold all the time and doesn't get really hot. So uh, also in Kentucky... We have those beautiful rick houses. Everybody's seen pictures. Mm -hmm. If you haven't, you know, go to Google and, and Google of, you know, bourbon rick houses in Kentucky. And there's, you know, you know, five to nine stories tall. It really don't matter how tall they are. It's just that they're 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 on ricks. And this rick system was in was uh, patented by Frederick Stitzel in 1879, 18, uh, seven, uh, 1880. And they, I when you go to uh, Ireland, uh, not so much Ireland, but uh, uh, Scotland. Scotland. The Dunnage warehouses where they yeah. just kind of pyramid them on top of each other. But you only put two or three because they're 500 pounds. And then they collapse the barrels underneath them. Right. Well, these sit just on the on the rick. They don't sit on other barrels. So you can st we stack them 21 barrels tall. So there's a giant shelving unit yeah. for those of you out there. Um, Absolutely. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you said this is a patented by Stitzel. Frederick Stitzel. Um, mm -hmm. Isn't it you that uncovered the copies of this patent? Mm-mm. I saw, I saw, like, I put some, it in my book. You just put it in the book. I needed illustrations, and it's an awesome illustration. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. not too many people dig through and find these patents. Right. Kind of. I came across it, and it was amazing. So I was like, shoot, that one's. I mean, obviously, people knew it existed at some point in the past, but. Absolutely. Um, there's one company that builds those beautiful rick houses, and of course, they're made of wood wrapped in tin. So we get all the extreme temperatures. There's nothing to. You know, especially when the sun hits it, it hits on that uh, tin, it really heats it up. We want that extreme temperature. Yeah, the temperature and the storage conditions is really, really important as to how the spirit is going to, you know, kind of extract flavor from right. the barrels. It's one of the things that, that makes Kentucky very special. Mm -hmm. Hot summers, cold winters, uh, the above ground storage facilities. A lot of storage facilities in Scotland are, are underground. Sure. And the, the, the stone warehouses. Yeah, they're get, constant and Everything goes down in proof. Here, and my, my point on this is, too, 
there's a company called Buzik, and they're the ones that build these warehouses. If you don't have the Buzik company, they don't travel all over the country. You're, if, you, if you're in Colorado or California or Washington or Oregon or Florida or Texas, you're putting it into just a warehouse that's heated and cooled, and you're stacking them like you would wine on those metal kind of stacking kind of uh, uh, dealy doos. I don't know right. what they call them. Uh, but, uh, and they're not stacked very tall. They're not getting extreme temperatures at the top. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't vary in temperatures from the, from, the, from the top of the warehouse to the bottom. So you don't have Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Right. If you're not aging it in one of those rick houses, you might have Colorado straight bourbon whiskey, but you don't have Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. So that's a big deal in our world here. And I know you said Kentucky is special to you. For the record, I was, I was born in Kentucky. There you go. I was born I in Louisville. I was nice. not aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Your special, blood brother's here. I guess I'm Special awesome. to me, too. The only one uh, native to Indianapolis. We then. call it the Falls City. It's on the Falls of the Ohio River. So it's right there. Oh, it's a beautiful city. Yeah. I think it's a... It's a it's a very good example of what a city that has uh, foresight to like plan ahead a hundred years, two hundred years, preserve your history. Obviously, the the city itself is full of history, and it's been there for a long time. But I wish we could give the city credit for that. But you, I you know, what you see <laughs> a lot of happened. you see a lot of cities that don't think so far ahead, and a lot of historic buildings get torn down, oh. and then fifty, sixty, hundred years later, Absolutely. everyone regrets that those buildings are gone, but uh, it's one of the reasons I really love Louisville and Absolutely. Uh, Main Street with all those beautiful. Yeah, it's, and it's we're all Midwesterners city, here, right? so we're actually pronouncing the name of the city a little differently than some people might be. Well, we we pronounce it eighteen different ways. <laughs> right, Louisville it's named after King Louis, but the week say Louisville, where I'm from, and other people around across town say Louisville. Well, another one say Louisville. Yeah, and that's an insight to I mean to the historical relevance of Kentucky and and, and Louisville and, and and Bourbon Country because I mean Bourbon Country was named after the Bourbon family, right? right? The the French family. Sure, Louisville is named after King Louis the Sixteenth, who uh, lo- loaned us the money to defeat the British in the Revolutionary War, uh, and then when uh, they applied for a town charter in 1780, they named the city uh, in Virginia after at the Falls of the Ohio after King Louis, so Louisville. Uh, around the same time, you had uh, the Bourbon County. It was named after the the, the, uh, the same Saint, the, the the House of Bourbon. Yeah, there's a, a very didn't ironic, end up very well for him. Like so. right, no, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I find it comical, and it always kind of struck me as extremely ironic that, um, like, we had assistance from the French, um, and we were able to, to win our American Revolution. But our American Revolution inspired the French Revolution, in which case a lot of the noble Bourbon family. French families got their heads cut off. Um, it's just kind of ironic. Yeah, and they chopped the kids' heads off too. I mean, well, they the made sure. the links with the French <laughs> period with spirits in the United States. I mean, obviously, me being the resident rum expert, I mean, we can really lead that back. I mean, that was uh, the you know war wars going on across the board. You know, increased rum production, but yeah. you know. Um, so speaking of Bourbon County, um, when, the word bourbon. Uh, we know where it comes from the county, but how did that become so widespread? Is there any evidence as to like how that became like bourbon referred to the distillate or the alcohol in the bottle? I've heard a couple different stories. You know, that at the on, just like we put these names, these words on labels, they would put the names. Uh, they would put the port on the barrel on the barrels where right. it left, and the contents on the inside. So if you uh, if it left from Bourbon County, which is one of the larger counties in Kentucky, you know, there's only a handful back. There's 120 now. There was only a handful. There's only five or six back in the 
late 1700s. Um, and if it was stamped Old Bourbon, Kentucky, then it came from uh, Maysville, which is where uh, Rosemary Clooney's from, George Clooney's uh, aunt. And um, so uh, it was stamped that on there, and then uh, it was said whiskey on it as well. And once it got down, it took nine months to get down to New Orleans, or New Orleans, or New Orleans, whatever however you want to say that one either. Butcher it every um, time. We know how to pronounce Louisville, but we have no idea how to say it. New Orleans. Uh, you get down there, um, people said, I just don't want that clear stuff. I don't want that clear whiskey. I want that stuff with the red color to it, that amber, that the red eye, by the way. That's the good stuff, not the clear stuff. Red eye is good stuff. It's red. Um, so I want the bourbon whiskey from Kentucky. I want Kentucky. some of the bourbon whiskey. Now, that's one story. The other story was as they were taking the, in the, when the steamboats started in the 18, whenever that started, 20s, 30s, um, people who had drank on Bourbon Street and had the whiskey from Kentucky, they said, I want some of that bourbon whiskey I had on Bourbon Street from Kentucky. You know, that's another way. I never heard that one. I didn't know that one. Yeah. way that it could have been told. I kind of believe both. You know, it took decades so we don't know right right uh, things develop you know, it, in, in peculiar was. ways and, and mm-hmm. it's one of the things i love about the booze business is there's some very weird wacky stories and it doesn't really make sense to people who don't drink you know like <laughs> it makes right. sense if you're drinking and then something happens the way it happens in a very peculiar way um i love that about the uh, the alcohol industry so we've got we have whiskey we have bourbon we have straight we got kentucky so you got four boy scout badges now <laughs> absolutely you know Man, they never let me in the boy look- scouts this is one of the most important words on a label that people overlook it all the time. There's a little word, BY. It says distilled by. That is one of the most important words because if it just says distilled in Kentucky, bottled by, that doesn't tell me that they made it. That tells me that it was distilled in Kentucky, but that word BY means the next name on there is the company that actually made it. So if it says distilled by Heaven Hill Distilleries, I know that that company made it. And that's a big deal. Because if it just says distilled in, that screams to me that they sourced it. Right. Which is fine. As long as it has these badges, that means some pretty good quality. Yeah, it's really not uncommon. So, There's lots of different you know, labels but it down just, there. We know it was made in Kentucky if it says made in, you know, distilled in Indiana. I can kind of tell you where that's from. Not uncommon. But Lawrenceburg, not uncommon, Indiana. But that means they didn't make it themselves. Still fine. But... That's a big designation because then you, when you make it, you control it. You control the recipe. If I'm sourcing it, I buy their recipe. I don't have one that I made, which is still fine. But, you know, it's, it might seem like a small little thing, but it's kind of a pride thing. You know, we made this. Sure, sure. So we're screaming that we made it on there. Then those are some great badges. But if it further has bottled in bond, those three important words. It also, I'm back here, by the way, too, if it says bottled by and it doesn't say distilled at all, that tells me it was sourced. It's sure. just, just bottled by. If it says produced by, which is, I think is one of the most misleading terms, that sounds like you made it, but you can produce a brand, you can produce a bottle mm-hmm. and a label, but that doesn't mean that you made anything. Still the same thing. Only when it says distilled by or distilled and bottled by. Okay. But if it says bottled and bond as well on top of that, you got to follow all those laws, but on top of it, you got to follow a whole nother set. And so that, that set means it must be aged for a minimum of four years, not just two, as in straight, but a minimum of four years. It must be 
um, it, the same class of materials can't be, you know, so it can't be combined with, uh, with another spirit. It can only be whatever its designation is. It has to be from one distillery, from one distilling season. So a distilling season, I don't know if you remember the old tax stamps that are on, were on the uh, uh, bottles back in the day, but it would say spring or fall. We have there, two yeah. seasons. It's a six-month period. January through June is the spring. July through December is the fall. Don't worry about that particularly, but it's a finite number of barrels, a smaller number of barrels that you can make in a six-month period. So that brings it down almost like a vintage with yeah. wine, if you will. Um, one distillery, one distillery only. You must list the real name of the distillery on the package. Yeah. Now, we own a couple of names. We own Evan Williams. We own Heaven sure. Hill. We own Elijah Craig. We own different ones. So Bernheim. So, so it's got to be distilled. By so him. to clear that up, by law, you must also list the distilled spirits plant number. Everyone has a unique number, kind of like an NOM in tequila. Right. And so this says DSP, which stands for Distilled Spirits Plant. For those of you that are missing my uh, my visual here, I'm pretty much just throwing away my notes because <laughs> every question I might have to ask Sorry. Bernie is really already being answered, so he's pretty good at this. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have got a bonded tattoo on my um, arm. so I, Which I we will have on the uh, website, so check us at Shift Drink, and we'll have it on there. Then it has KY. We can. We're in Kentucky. If this was, if we, if our plant was in Indiana, it would say IN. We were in KY, so this is uh, Kentucky. So it's KY, and the number one because we're the best, right? Just happens to be our number, so it's a good number to have. Um, it goes so far to say that if you bottled it at a separate plant, you must list that number. So it says DSP KY thirty one. There is no question about how old this product is, where it came from, who made it. There's nothing. This total, complete transparency. So if it says Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, bottle and bond, to me, that's the Eagle Scout. It's got all the insurance. Yeah. It's got all the medals. So it's the, it's the Navy SEAL or the, or the Green Beret. And my point when I ask people all over the world, why wouldn't you want every single bottle and bond on the planet? And people say, where should I start my collection? Buy every bottle and bond you can get your hands on. They're, for the most part, they're not that expensive. Sure. And then branch off from there. Well, even this Evan Williams bottle that we're drinking right now, it's one of my favorite uh, whiskeys, and it's bottled and bond. That is one of the reasons I drink it, because of all those things that you just went through. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy affordable. Yes. Uh, now, here in Indiana, bucks. we were recently uh, just cut off from Heaven Hill. From getting Heaven Hill bottle and bond. Cut off. <laughs> it's not what happened at all. I tried to hunt down a bottle for today. We cut blew off. through. We blew through our stock. You were so uh, lucky to be able to have the we six-year-old Heaven Hill bottle and bond, the we second, were. the second oldest age-dated bottle and bond on the planet. Um, but you know, uh, I mean, Kentucky got greedy. How much they wanted it? it all. Well, <laughs> Kentucky is we should be the home of, of most all all labels that need to be had. But you know, we were. How much was a bottle of that? Twelve, thirteen bucks. Wholesale? On the retail. I have no idea. I don't Probably 12 bucks, yeah, 13 bucks. I would guess that would be fair. 12 bucks. Yeah, I know it's insane, mm -hmm. right, Arthur? Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, so that's, we were, that's incredibly high quality. People were getting turned on to it. Uh, because it was only barrels from one season, we were going to run out of it. So, you know, right, instead of making right. people upset, um, we decided to make that a Kentucky only product. Nah, it makes um, sense. Just like we did Old Fitzgerald's Kentucky only product. It's the only bottle and bond, uh, but Old Fitzgerald. Um, so 
we don't like to kill brands. When we do it, we just kind of bring it down to Kentucky. Well, now. I mean, we so, were down to, it was what, only Indiana and Kentucky at that two point, hours away, right? So, so yeah. Suck not it up, even. come down and get some. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> that, that gets into a downward spiral. Well, your tattoo says 100 proof mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. tattoo. So I'm assuming that's... law that's, of bond and bond. It must be exactly 100 proof. Okay. I skipped over that. Exactly, no more, no less. And that's a proof gallon. That's why the government, that's what they care about. Is their, That's what they get their money. Fifty, um, One gallon of 50% alcohol spirit is a proof gallon. And we pay $13.50 per proof gallon. Everybody does. So the whole bottle and bond thing was started from some sort of taxation legislation, right? Or taxation relief, right? Well, yeah. Uh, not so much. It was uh, it was in the late 1890s uh, that it came out. 1897, the Bottle and Bond Act of 1897. In the late 1800s, you had these uh, yeah, a gentleman named Julius Kessler. You know, know that name? From no. Kessler. <laughs> Kessler whiskey, uh, smooth as silk. Julius. Oh, yeah, Kessler. sure. There sure. you go. Still made today. Rings and, the bell. Rings yeah. the bell. Yeah, and you know the country was growing. Um, we had a thousand immigrants a day coming through Ellis Island. We have a thousand immigrants a day coming through New Orleans. A thousand immigrants a day coming through Angel Island, San Francisco. Donald Trump would have hated this time, <laughs> right? Uh, and they wanted to drink something, you know. And they um, were so building. Go back and drink yeah. a scotch. They were building <laughs> railroads, and uh, every and a lot of people were given whiskey as a bonus in their pay. You know, a, a daily ration or a weekly ration of whiskey. It was like a bonus. Um, you had a lot of companies. And there was also a lot of moonshining going on and some cheaper whiskeys happening. They called it compound whiskey back then. And they would often put in, there were no laws on anything. So there wasn't any laws, any consumer laws protecting anybody on anything. You could just put whiskey on a label and to make it look like whiskey, you could take, you could just make Everclear, vodka, if you will. Um, dumping, they were dumping in prune juice in some cases, cherry cherry juice, other fruit juices, just like you would a hooch when you give you a little when color, you, when right? You sure. have parties and you have your you know Everclear, your house. It's you know, the compound. You make a hooch, name. right? Yeah, it's back a, when it's made doing a compound. Exactly Arthur was in prison. You made a little bit of that. Hell yeah, yeah. And then made add Merlot water, in the toilet. Add sugar. <laughs> uh, sometimes back then they were adding unsafe things. Um, tobacco spit. Not that that's too unsafe, but uh, it's an, yeah, yeah, right. Think about you know you, you don't put that on the label. It doesn't say. Kentucky straight bourbon tobacco spit. But they could actually put whiskey on that label and sell it. Right. And the, and the folks that were making what we were calling straight whiskey in Kentucky and the surrounding states, they didn't like that. Um, uh, also, Julius Kessler was trying to he, form this thing called the Whiskey Trust so that they would have more safe whiskey. He actually did it for good reasons, but he was also trying to corner the market and, and be, sure. get a monopoly. So he's getting all these people to try to join this trust. Anytime there's a word trust involved in anything, don't, don't trust, trust it. Trust, trust. Uh, so um, that that didn't particularly work because he was making more of what we would call a, a blended whiskey today, which uh, his is. And, and they were trying to keep keep that compound whiskey, but just to make it more safe, not like the, what the moonshiners were doing and, you know, on that kind of stuff. So... In 1897, they passed this law, and the folks in Kentucky had an advocate in Washington, and his, if you watch Boardwalk Empire, that gentleman's name is uh, John Carlisle, and he is the Secretary of Treasury of the United States. And he's important because his agents own, hold the keys of the distilleries, and they set the taxes, so that's why he is involved. And they get passed the Bottle and Bond Act of 1897, which then states all those laws. Nine years before we cared about the safe labeling of our food in the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, we cared more about the quality of our whiskey in 1897. Another great 
reason to all right to, uh, to say America, America, America. America. <laughs> we right. Kentucky straight as bourbon, I ramble on. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> Got bottled and, then, of course, and bond. Of course, then there was a fight. Just as we're fighting over um, health care right now, the, you know, the law was passed, and now they're talking about you know striking it down and uh, repealing it and rebuilding or whatever. They they talked about doing that with the Bottle and Bond Act. Well, that was too many regulations because I I know from the rum world mm -hmm. there is exactly one designated appellation in the rum world, and that's in Martinique. And the reason being a couple other uh, islands that I visited in the Caribbean, they just can't get all the distillers to agree to one set of regulations. Sure, because they're different countries too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this I was mean, easier because it was one country. Well, we, well even 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 within one country, because I know in Jamaica they've been working on trying to get. Uh, kind of a designated appellation, and there are only six distilleries on that island. At but the it's Jamaica. It's Jamaica. And they, they, can't, can't. they can't feed 10,000 people. So, so, I mean, at this point, you know, you've got all these guys. Yeah. I can see where there might be sure. some conflict. Well, and you had people like Julius Kessler who was like, well, that's not good. We don't want that. We don't have to wait four years to sell. We want to make it today, sell it tomorrow, right? Because that takes a long time to wait. So what uh, William Howard Taft did, who was president of the United States at the time, he came out and he made a decision. In 1909, and it was and they call it's called the Taft decision. Good name. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be the president, president. that would be yeah, a good a decision. Way to, and from, I'm going to call this from the not Taft too far decision. From here. He's from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and so he decided. He put his foot down. He had a pretty big foot. He was because he was known for what? Big, big feet. Guy. I mean, he was known. Oh, I don't know. He got stuck in a bathtub in the White House. Okay. Oh, that was Taft. Here. Yeah, Taft. So uh, not a way to be. Wow, remembered. getting called out on our uh, history here. <laughs> He also, I mean, that's cool. Um, it's just our podcast, dude. He also <laughs> rode in the first car as pres first president. That I did know. A car. That I did know. Uh, he also threw out the first pitch of a major of a, of a base baseball season. He was the first president to start that. And he was. Was the, that during the Cubs World Series? Could have been. Could have been. So what did he yeah. do for our country? Yeah. Well, he made the Taft decision, and the Taft decision it really created three types of three types of whiskey. You had your uh, compound whiskey, which then was called blended. Mm -hmm. So you could take neutral grain spirits and add colors and flavors and sugars to it. It's like a Canadian whiskey. Or like a Seagram 7. <laughs> or a Kessler. Being no, it's, 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 it's funny much because different. it's funny. That, that's actually much different because what we, we do is our blended whiskeys in the United States are basically vodka or Everclear with sugars and flavors. Sure. Canadian whiskey has to be aged for three years. Okay. This is make it today. There you go. Has just have to you know, just, just have to run through the barrel. I mean, it has to be aged. You know, whiskey does have to be aged, but it doesn't say how long. I mean, they have apparatus. So this is the stuff that we're adding through. cinnamon flavor to and taking his shots. Well, well no. This, <laughs> this is, this is uh, you know, adding uh, caramel color, flavors, and sugars. And you got Seagram 7 or Philadelphia or Kessler or Kentucky Deluxe or Kentucky Gold. There's tons of them out there. Black black Velvet. Right. Or, or Clack Calvert, whatever. So, so um, you have that. Then you had straight and that's what the Taft decision was created a whole okay. new category called straight and that had to be aged for two years nothing but pure water added and then of course we already had bottle and bond and that was four years so you can make three different types of whiskeys from that in that era after 1909 so it kind of worked its way backwards and like say okay if you're not meeting the standards of bottle and bond because those were here tough are standards. some other standards that you yeah. may be able to meet but still not yeah. require the four-year in the bottle and bond had a great advantage towards the distillers because that was called putting it into bond otherwise you'd have to pay tax on it when it was made so if you put it into bond you'd have to pay tax for it for the time that it was in bond so that was the advantage of having uh. bottle and bond is because you'd have to pay tax on it right away 
And then you pay tax afterwards, and you're going to lose some to evaporation, so you're actually paying taxes on less right. volume. Right, and now that's the way we do all taxes. Before, you were kind of buying the angels around. You were paying for <laughs> it as it went into the barrel. Okay. So now it's more fair All right. for that. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So got all that wrapped up, which just leaves for American whiskey. When you see wheat, when you see rye, mm-hmm. um, how are those sure. as right, other that's, I was going in that direction okay. as well. So we know that bourbon is at minimum a 51% right. corn, corn whiskey. So the great thing about this is you don't have to worry about any other laws. It's just the 51% of changes. So rye whiskey, wheat whiskey, malt whiskey, malted rye whiskey all have the same exact laws of the less than 160 Brand new charred oak container at no more than 125, right? But 51%, and it's not 51% corn like bourbon. Wheat whiskey is 51% wheat. Rye whiskey is 51% rye. And malt, American malt whiskey is at least 51% malt. Okay, gotcha. That and makes it's sense. all the same rules. Pretty all easy after now, all that. Corn whiskey is different. <clears throat> corn whiskey has another designation, oh, yeah. and that is it must be at least 80% corn. Not 51. Okay. So, but can you have a bourbon that is at least 51%, that mm-hmm. 51% corn, yeah. but has more than 80% sure. corn? And you can it doesn't be 100%, be called corn whiskey? You can be 100% and be called bourbon. Really? Yeah. Okay, cool. As long as you follow the other rules. I didn't know if you went over 80, then you have to go <laughs> but A lot of people whiskey. think that. And a lot of people think that. Go oh, as soon as you hit 80, 80, you have to call it corn no, whiskey. The big thing about that is... Corn whiskey doesn't have to be aged. It's one of the few whiskeys. I don't know how they get around the whiskey law, the aged and oak, but they but they do. It's called corn whiskey, and that's our Georgia Moon. And you, you've seen other ones. Uh, actually, there's not many on the market that are true corn whiskeys. But if you age it, it must be aged in a used charred barrel or a brand-new uncharred barrel. For corn whiskey. For corn whiskey, and that's the big designation. Corn whiskey also must be distilled at less than 160 proof. And age in the used charred barrel in no more than 125. So still big restrictions. It's not just neutral grain spirits. Sure, Water yeah. down to, eight, to, to 80 proof. So um, that is because if you age a if you age a, age a corn distillate in a brand new charred oak container, the corn flavor becomes neutral and only the sweetness remains, and you got bourbon. But if you age it in a used charred barrel, the corn flavor remains. And you got corn whiskey. That's the big difference between because we if, if we if we aged our mellow corn, which is four percent difference. Uh, our Evan Williams is seventy eight percent corn, and our mellow corn's eighty percent corn. Okay. There's ten percent rye in this Evan Williams, and there's only eight percent rye in our in our uh, mellow corn. That's not a whole big difference. You probably won't be able to taste it. Right. That was you know, I was going to ask about that. So I mean, yeah. <clears throat> the mash bills. I know that people obsess about they mash do. bills. They do. And I mean, do you think that obsession is is, is warranted? Because like, is that difference fun. really going to be? It's it's fun. it's, it's, so, a, it's a talking point. I mean, you're not going to be able to taste with a distillate. But when we bring our corn whiskey off, and it's only two percent of corn and two percent of malted barley, if if you can taste the difference between that, you're Richard Patterson. Right? <laughs> right. And you're All not right. Richard Patterson, right? <laughs> so I mean, I can't taste it. So when we but, talk but about a weeded whiskey, it's the whiskey. barrel you put it in. If we put that eighty percent. 12% malted barley, 8% rye recipe in a brand new charred barrel, it would taste just like this. Right. So why are we going to, we're not going to do that. We want to put it into a used Evan Williams barrel. And then we got a whole new thing called corn whiskey. And 
Why wouldn't we do? Why wouldn't we get one more hit out of that barrel? Sure, yeah. Barrel costs one hundred seventy-five dollars. Ton of money, ton so, of money. So you know, let's use it one more time, and let's have something different. And that's why we keep this brand alive called Mellow Corn because it's a cool brand and it's, it's beautiful. I you really know, like it only Mellow sells Corn a few a thousand cases a year, but we want to make every style of American whiskey. Our fan, if we were stockholder held, the board of directors would have done away with this brand forty years ago because it's not making any money. What's the uh, standard capacity money. for barrels employed in, in bourbon production? What was the first part of that? I'm standard sorry. capacity, like typical volume. A, a, size a barrel is barrel. 53 gallons, 200 liters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And is that kind of uniform? Is that dictated? Is yeah, that because cause they fit in the rick, rick house. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. It's really important to make them fit. <laughs> it fits on the so, shelf. Um, uh, before World War II, everything was 48 gallons. Okay. And um, uh, when they... During the war, they had a lot of wood and a lot of st- stuff was going toward the war effort. War effort, so they 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 asked the coopers to see how big they can bigger they can make the barrel, but still fit in the rick house. That's interesting. And they came up with fifty three gallons was the was the was it was it. That so was the max. Kinda, otherwise, that's, it was. That's how fit. that happened. Wow, that's uh, you can make a barrel you know, as big as you want. You can make a barrel, you know. Sure. You know, like a, like a cognac barrel it could be six hundred liters or whatever, but it won't fit in a rick house. <laughs> All right. When so, we talk about weeded whiskeys, um, and what does that bring to the table? So wheat is a winter grain. Okay. So you know, back in the 1700s, 1800s, when your corn, when your corn uh, crop was gone after the, you know the beginning of fall, you still had to, you had to eat throughout the winter. Sure. Right? So yeah. You had you a winter grain. So that was the second largest uh, grain grown in Kentucky, and still is. So obviously, without planning, they're going to put wheat in recipes. Because that's there. So that's how wheat... I mean, they didn't... No one had these laws. And I'm going to make a wheat bourbon. Sure, no, right. I'm going to yeah. use whatever's in the damn backyard, right? Because <laughs> that's what I need. <laughs> so if you made stuff... If you made a distillate from... And we had a lot of peach trees in, in Kentucky back then. And you, So if you made a peach wine... Yummy. Okay, and then, you know, that wine is, is in pottery... It's not going to last. It's only like 2%. You know, the beer and the wine they're making back then is like 2%. Yeah. Not going to last a day, you know, shoot. But if you take that and put it into your copper kettle, then you're going to get peach brandy. Well, that's going to last even through the winter. Same thing with the beer that you make from the grains and you put it in your copper kettle and you get whiskey. I mean, this is one reason why they did this in the first place. So that's why they did it. Um, And then the grains are just going to be... They knew they were going to need barley because that's what has the enzymes in it. I mean, Evan Williams was from Wales. Right. He knew he knew how to make whiskey before he got here. Um, you know, Jacob Beam came from Germany. He knew how to make beer and, and whiskey. So they knew they were going to need that. They came down from the north, and that had a lot of rye up north in New York, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. Uh, and it gave a nice spicy flavor even to unaged. But when they got here to this area, we have a hell of a lot of corn. And that's what became the predominant and also the, the 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 great side benefit of that is corn is very starchy it's a large grain and those other grains are small and so you get more gallons proof gallons per bushel it has the highest yield of all the grains of alcohol that was a biggie yeah plus it was sweet it's sweet yeah, right yeah. so enzymes alcohol yields that sounds like a segue into production, if you ask me. I think right. we've pretty much covered a lot of history in a North American category. And then the wheat added the, it had no spice in it at all. It was more sweet, 
and then the uh, rye adds a little spice to it. And that kind so of lets like a sweet whatever whiskey. else is in there kind of come to the forefront a little bit more. So, I mean, yeah, more we don't have much there. of a flavor, but it allows the sweetness of the corn to shine through. Right. And barley is sweet as well. So that's just going to be sweet, sweet, sweet. And then you've got the, and once you started aging it, that's when the rye, because if we tasted unaged uh, corn whiskey, which has a little bit, of, or, or even this bourbon whiskey, you don't get a lot of spice. No, not really. It takes that barrel to magnify that flavor. It, once they started using that, those barrels and started charring them on purpose and using it, they like that flavor. They like that little bite in the back of their palate. They like that white pepper spice, that caraway seed marrying with the sweetness. And it, it shows in, in unaged rye spirit. I mean, you Absolutely. stick your nose in the glass and you get that, that spicy, peppery. Did you um, say rice beer? Uh, rice, rice spirit. Yeah. You know, we or can rice make, beer. I'm we sure can rice make, beer is not delicious. We can but. make bourbon with rice. Well, I meant uh, rye. But I'm not just rice. saying. Well, they make a shitload of beer with rice. You can make yeah, it with sure. Yeah, it's a good uh, right. We, it's a good. Uh, we've all made bourbon with rice, and we've all made bourbon with oats. Sure. You obviously, don't see it on the market. So guess what? You see a little bit up there. We've got yeah. some up on the shelf back behind us. Well, you I don't think. see a lot, so must not do. <laughs> must not <laughs> no, be very good. <laughs> if, it, if it was good, that's you'd see a lot more. Yeah, right. Well, you, you 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 can you know. There's people who put things out experimentally, but you don't right. see it that's in exactly production. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not a 300 year old brand, that's for sure. No, it's fun because you can make. It's, it's so regulated. So it's the it's how imaginative you can be within the guidelines within the, the criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, a of everything that we've talked about. Like, that's I think probably the most striking point of all of this talk is like how historically important bourbon whiskey has been to the United States. I mean, absolutely. Uh, every person like Evan Williams, we're sitting here drinking Evan Williams bottle and bond. We've talked about any number of other uh, producers and brands, but these are all like real guys that were that that existed. I mean, they 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 started absolutely. off like you said, they came from. Germany, Scotland, England, France, wherever they came from. And that's. Yeah. Um, I, I have a website called whiskeyprof.com. And on that website, it's my website, not my company's website. So it's kind of a neutral, you know, I'm not pushing, I mean, I'm pushing our brands, obviously. <laughs> but I have an article called, Who Are These People's Names Who's on These Labels? And I encourage people, especially if you work in a bar or a restaurant or a retail store, what if you knew a two-sentence biography on every name, on every whiskey label behind your bar or on your shelf? Bring the, the brand to life a little bit for people. Oh, who totally. Was, who was Johnny Walker? Who was Dewar? Who's Augustus Bullitt? Who's Jack Daniels? Who's I'm a big Jim fan of Bean? Elijah Craig. Who's Elijah Craig? Yeah, you know, he has got, an interesting story. Who, you know, from a Baptist preacher from Virginia who gets arrested for illegal preaching several times. Uh, He's a I, that's great the part guy. I love, illegal yeah. preaching. I didn't even know that you had to have a license. <laughs> so, you know, if you just knew a little bit about it, even as a consumer, who are, who are they? You know, this, this signature in this bottle, and most signatures you see on different bottles are the actual person's signature. This is from a, a distillery license in the late 1700s, early 1800s. It's his damn signature. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. You know? It's you not just, see that in it's any not just a computer-generated signature. That's the damn signature. Didn't invent a name here. Yeah, there, there's no shortage of great stories. And, and to Bernie's point, yeah, bartenders, it's great with engaging consumers. Consumers love to hear that shit. Consumers really, really, by and large, unless they're ultra nerds, don't want to hear about Mashvilles and, and 
enzymatic activity of barley versus wheat or rye or whatever. They love hearing the, the stories. And I want to chime into that point. Like, you know, we're obviously we're in the industry. So when we talk about, yeah, you know, tell your customers a good story about something because we definitely want them to understand these are real people. But, you know, we ourselves are uh, consumers as well. I mean, we go out to bars and we drink and I love learning these stories. There's, it's guys like Bernie that are the ones that teach it. Like, you know, that when we, they pass it along to bartenders and when I go sit at a bar and I, as I've mentioned, I, I drink a lot of rum and I get to learn the stories about, you know, guys mm-hmm. like Omer Clement or whatever. And it's, and I have actually read your book. Um, it got stolen. Ah. I'll tell you, I'm pissed about that. And well, I'm the publisher's I'm, right here in Indianapolis. I'm going to way. rant for Blue a second Press. because I went through the car wash. <laughs> well, how about you give the name of the book? Shameless plug. Sure, it's bourbon whiskey, our native spirit, sour mash, and sweet adventures. You've never said that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Published right here in Indianapolis, Indiana, by Cardinal Publishing yeah. Group, Blue River Press. I All bought right. a copy, stolen, <laughs> went to the car wash. Uh, we'll take care of that. And yeah, I mean, I, I tucked everything all away nicely, put away things I didn't want stolen. Next day, I actually, no, two hours later after I got out of the car wash, I went to go look for my book. And I was like, well, I'm going to finish this today. I've only got, you know, 10 pages and I never did finish. So I'm going to, today is going to be the day I finish my 10 pages. So mm-hmm. the dude at the car wash stole your book? Fucking asshole. That's not at the car cool, wash. car not wash a, dude. Not only that, he decided to empty out half my uh, prescription of Xanax. Wow. <laughs> which. Uh, considering current government regulations, not not easy to get a refill on that. So, yeah, I mean, I can't call my doctor and be like, hey, you know that thing? Like, by the way, I just, quote, lost, you know, half my bottle. So this, you know, I'm like, thanks, asshole. Of course, I called the car wash. And they're like, oh, no, it wasn't us. I'm like, really? That's funny because my bourbon book was sitting on my console before I left. And now it's gone. We'll make Although, sure you get, hey, I'll make sure you get another book. Hey, Doc. car wash guy, I hope that you learned all of the history. Behind every one of those producers and all those names, you know who Evan Williams is at this mm-hmm. point. You know who Elijah Craig is. And you know what? I will freely, I'm not even angry about it. If he kept that book <laughs> and he read that book. it forward. That's that, exactly. Like I'll you, make you, sure you get another book. You, you learned it, and that's, that's all we want. We want the education to not move forward. Not cool, car wash dude. Not really. Not, cool. not very cool, but hey, you know, if, if the education went and he didn't try to sell it at half price books, then I'm happy. Well, it sounds like a great book. I need to check it out. Can't believe now, I read it. You were talking about Indianapolis a moment ago, or you mentioned it. Um, you're no stranger to this city. And this is a little bit over 30 years off topic, but you, how long have you been working with, uh, in the bourbon industry? 11 years now, 11 years. Since and prior 2005. To that, now you were a comedian for what? 20 plus years. That's what got me into the bourbon business was I was a stand-up comic. So I worked the broad ripple comedy club and downtown comedy connection here since the nineties, the early nineties. So how does that work? How do you go from comedy to, to being a, you're a global ambassador. You are not just a, yeah, a Midwestern ambassador. You, you represent heaven Hill across the globe. I've, I've been to uh, Bratislava, Slovakia. I've been to Plice, uh, Slovakia. I've been to uh, Sleeve of Czech Wizard. Republic. I've been to, uh, uh, you know, Paris and London and Manchester. It's it's awesome. Those it's, are easier awesome. to say. Yeah, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, Deutschland. That's right. Well, we uh, uh, learned a little bit about. Uh, after or Bernie's a, grabbing his shoulder. After a bottle of Rittenhouse Rye, who who knew they'd like Rittenhouse Rye, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and and I blame it more on sleep deprivation with the flying in. Of yeah, course, that's what I blame the it on all the time. Sleep deprivation are very good. <laughs> um, 
I uh, separated my AC joint by, uh, and I, 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 sad, I told my doctor, I, sad to say, I was there, but I was not a witness. Uh, <laughs> if you don't remember it, it didn't happen. I slammed happen. my shoulder into a closing elevator door and separated my AC joint. <laughs> first day, first night in on a 13-day trip to Europe. So thank you. Went to I, Poland that trip. It was amazing. There's so much more to that. I slammed my shoulder into a closing <laughs> elevator door <laughs> because that is a, that's a high-risk activity. You, you never know when that's going to happen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so when I was flying into Frankfurt, um, the first, first time I was with our, our distributor, uh, Stefan, and he gets this faraway look, as a lot of Germans get, they this faraway look, and he's very, they're very proud of their cities. He says, Frankfurt, uh, the largest airport in all of Germany. You know, they have, they have to throw the in all of Germany. I guess it used to be separated, so I guess for the, it's just sounds a little. <laughs> and then um, and I said, oh, cool. And he says, and the only city in all of Germany with a skyline. And I said, well, you're welcome. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so did you did you did you punch and a Jew? That was the last Jew? time that Bernie was allowed in Germany. Right. Yeah. Oh, they joke about it. They always they say when when you wave, never above the shoulder. <laughs> so they have a good sense of humor. That's so, awesome. They also say, yeah, you know why uh, Hitler never drank whiskey? Made him mean. <laughs> Jesus. He, he was a mean drunk. Jesus. Wow. Well, that, anyway. That, we, well, anyway. I think Bernie has now topped everything you've ever said on this podcast, Arthur. He, he might have. He, but he it, might have. I don't know. You're in close running. Yeah, like we're, we're damn near halfway through this bottle of whiskey. <laughs> but it's true. all, you know, talking about, and, you know, you, as much as people need to learn about whiskey here, they're just so thirsty for the knowledge over there. I was surprised. I just got back from a vacation in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and they love their tequila down there. Make no mistake. But I see. Uh, but the bartenders down there, they don't know anything about it. No, they, no, really they don't. don't know. No. And they, you know, it doesn't seem like they really care. You know, now I was in a very, um, you know, touristy Tourist, thing. Yeah. And they, you know, they would just automatically, Don Julio, Don Julio. Yeah, every time. You know, I don't know. Their rep must be great or whatever. That's good. That's a good tequila. But I was explaining to them. Like on his bar rail mats, Ocho and Tapatio. And I was like, well, that, those guys are brothers. That's Carlos Camarena. Yeah, that's Felipe good Camarena, you yeah. know. And, so I, and he's like, look at me like I had two heads. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> right. You want Don Julio or what? You know? No. Nope. <laughs> but, well, you know, you pay just, me. when I see something like that, I get excited because it is, it, it, Arthur's an educator. Mm-hmm. You don't want to talk to somebody who knows everything. You're right? No, it's no fun. I mean, it's fun to talk to people who really are educated and stuff, but. I really want to turn people on to something and to have the opportunity. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, we don't, we got to age this stuff for a minimum, you know, three or four years, really two for straight, but it's got, sure. It's got to be, have about four years to have, you know, to get where you're you're talking about something. We don't have enough for the world. So I'm glad that not everybody's turned on to this. Right. We got to have a future, right? So what brands did you see down when you were, talking about Ocho and talking about Tapatios, what brands of bourbon did you see accessible at the resort? Uh, it, it, it was just, it was an all-inclusive resort, so we had Jack, we had Crown, and we had uh, Jim. Okay. And uh, I think they might have had a bottle of Makers. And I, you but probably know you're in the Americas when you can get that. When you when I go to Asia, it's just <laughs> one brand. They're pretty much bought and paid it's, for. It's Johnny Walker, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and of course, Johnny, and of course, they had their scotches. Johnny Walker was uh, was there, and uh, Dewars. And that was the only right. really blended scotches they had. They didn't really have any single malts to speak of, you know. And they had a lot of great tequilas, but again, they didn't know much about it. Now, no. the really cool thing is, you you can ask any bartender on the fly to make you a side of sangrita. sangrita. You can't do that up here. And they, oh, boom, and they know exactly how to make that. And I just think that's the most civilized and the most perfect way to drink tequila is with the side of sangrita. The, uh, you know, it's a tomato juice. Yeah, uh, delicious. Type of, you know, for folks who are listening, you know, if you've never had it, go somewhere that that, that makes it. I mean, I don't know why every tequila bar in the United States don't make fresh sangrita. But we're putting you on notice. Every tequila bar in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> so, um, do you dig on mezcal? You know, I'm not. In, I, I can't get there right Breaking now. Breaking my heart, burning. I know. Oh, me too. Breaking Sorry. my heart. And I love peated scotches. Mm, I don't yeah. know what it is. It's this dirty sock thing. I can't get past. <laughs> I just can't get past it. Uh, just yeah. twist, you know, twist the damn knife, Bernie. I, need to, I know. I need to just get it. Push know, it in. As an ambassador. It only you, hurts and, once. I'm sure you're aware of this. 99.9% of my world is my brands. Sure. And yeah. my stuff. So, you know, I just got to take a week well, you work, and get into it. You, you work know? for Heaven Hill. I'm, yeah. It's not like you're uh, stuck <laughs> drinking crap. Well, hey, we have know, every right. style. So you have everything amazing. you could possibly ever amazing. want. So right. some people listening might not realize like what brand ambassadors are like there are people who have jobs that fly around internationally <laughs> nationally and they represent brands and they discuss genres of spirit and then they get paid to go out and eat and drink and talk about it and i have to commend you because i mean you obviously you know you know your shit bernie and well, thank you i work along i'm not a brand ambassador i'm an educator mm -hmm. all right so i don't teach brands so much i teach sure. genre specifics of alcohol wine sake whatever mm -hmm. and i supplement with brands that make sense sure. but I, I put the emphasis the emphasis on the genre and your I've jokes are now leaking into your, like your regular <laughs> conversation here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, How about the emphasis? Sorry, hold on, hold. On. What's the punchline? <laughs> um, but I, uh, I've always had an issue with brand ambassadors because most brand ambassadors suck. Mm -hmm. um, they're someone who is entertaining or engaging, and they're hired, and then they the the companies that be give them some factoids and some features and benefits, which is trade talk for. You should buy my shit because, right? And then they go out in their merry way, and they teach on products that they don't genuinely, intimately know, and that's obviously not the case with you. Like, well, thank you. And you know that's your shit. exactly how I started. Getting back to the original question ten minutes ago. Well, no, it's well, interesting, well, it was, right? Because you're I a was entertaining, and I could talk. And back when I was started in two thousand five, the only people that were brand ambassadors were the distillers, and they really—they're not talkers. First of all, they didn't really want to talk a whole lot. They right. were, they like to make yeah. the whiskey. Wanted to stay in the back and, and do their little and alchemy. Also, they got to be making the whiskey. They can't really be traveling because takes they time make away the from the whiskey. And they're just country boys and all that, so they they didn't really like like to talk. Um, I saw an opportunity there and I went for it. I was doing events and promotions uh, at the same at the time for for Jim Beam, and I was like, man, one day I'd like to be Fred. Fred, no, you know, I'd like to. You know, I, and, I, and, and, and talk about it. And he's like, well, you know, and then, then when I, that's when I started teaching words on labels. Cause I'm like, I can't tell Fred's story. He's part of the Bean family. I can't tell that story, that's his story. I gotta find a story I can tell. And that's when I kind of found the standards of identity. And I was like, hmm, nobody's talking about these words on labels. Nobody's talking about A's. Nobody's talking about bottle and bond. And that kind of, even though I didn't know a whole lot, back then i found something that nobody everybody was telling you what temperature they distilled to right what uh temperature they fermented to how many hours they fermented i'm like well shit well that's their job 
I don't, I don't, you don't want to make, you don't want to taste any whiskey I made. I can't make shit, but I can sure find something that people can use, not just with our brands, but with the whole category. What if you knew how to read a bourbon label the same way wine geeks can read a wine label? That's what I was about to say. That, translate, is that? translates a lot to what Arthur's does. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's where wine gets intimidating is where bourbon get, can get intimidating. I mean, I'm looking at this Evan Williams label and there's far more print than there is white space. Sure. And sure. that can be very intimidating when you go into a liquor you store. Cut down so. the noise and you just bring it down to a handful of words. But no longer is that going to be the case for anybody listening right. to this episode because we've already... Uh, <laughs> We've distilled it now. Yeah, I was going to go there, but I'm like, I don't know, that's a bad pun. (laughs) Going from being entertaining to then really learning the stuff. And that took years. And and it was also so great of all the distillers, not just the distillers I worked with, like Fred No, but when I came over to Heaven Hill, Parker and Craig Beam, Parker still, you know, uh, Bernie, anything you need, you call, you know? And... Jimmy Russell and Eddie Russell, and, you know, they know that I'm out there doing the same, you know, sitting on my ass on airplanes, eating, you know, fast food and here and there, trying to do whatever, but talking about the category and talking about their brands, not negatively. There's and, no- they, and they always say, if you need anything, and I pick their brains, ain't if you're at a whiskey show and you see Jimmy Russell and you don't ask him a question, shame on you. Right. I have a list of different questions I want to ask because they're not, you know, you got one at a time. 20 years from now. So, you, <laughs> right. Yeah. Be able to ask a question. Just like when you ask rum makers and you ask, you have specific people. You All of them. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Arthur, but, you, you know, just ask some, whoever's in front of you. But certain ones have a specialty. Oh, you know? of course. So, you know, I can ask that person. Because I think it's fascinating. What a great position we have. No, it's a fantastic position. And you actually hold a, a pretty rare position uh, to be to, for your scope to be as large as it is. Um, I was familiar with you as a comedian, and it took me. I, we talked about before we uh, kind of started rolling here today, but like I never really put two and two together, despite you having two <laughs> two eccentric names, like Bernie Lovers. And I'm like, Bernie Lovers? Yeah, there's a comedian you, named you Bernie Lovers. You uh, Bernie Lovers, a love song, Bob and Tom, and uh, just give a listen. That's yeah, the, yeah. one of the most requested songs in the history of Bob and Tom. And I remembered your name from being out there as a comedian and, and playing shows in Indianapolis, but then fast forward to me being in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're a little bit older than I am. Um, and then... You know, your name's obviously floating out around there in, in bourbon circles. So that, that kind of became my definition of who Bernie Lebers is. <laughs> right? it's like, but, you know, and that actually brings me around to another question I wanted to ask or I, I wanted you to talk about. It wasn't even a question. So as an entertainer, uh, you're used to being in front of crowds. You did comedy stand-up, right? For stand-up comedy for 20 years. 20 years, yeah. Um, but you still perform, but now you perform educating about bourbon through bluegrass. Absolutely. So, and I've always played guitar, and uh, being from Kentucky, I've always had a affection and an interest in bluegrass music, but I never played it, uh, just strummed it. And then when I started in this business, I found a great bluegrass musician who, you know, what goes better with bourbon than bluegrass music? Kentucky that, whiskey, Kentucky music. Would that be Hickory? Hickory Vaughn. And his buddies. Not the ballet dancer, don't, <laughs> don't get confused. When your name's Hickory, you got to be a bluegrass musician. But... Um, 
you know, and then he said, well, you play, we'll bring your guitar. So, you know, I'm like, well, I really don't pick. He goes, yeah, it's fine. And, you know, and just like, you know, over time, you hang around these guys who are extremely talented. And next thing you know, you're kind of picking up some things. So when I came to Heaven Hill, uh, he was like, how do you like it over there? That's over four years ago. And I said, well, we got so many different styles of whiskey. I don't even know where to start when I do a tasting. But I think I can taste unaged corn whiskey and move it into aged corn whiskey and wheat whiskey. And then bottle and bond and then small batch and single barrel bourbon. And then rye whiskey in there too. I can talk about the, how it evolved and how it started out as unaged corn whiskey and ended up as a small batch and single barrel bourbon. So I'm think I'm, I think I'm going to call it the evolution of bourbon. He goes, wow. He goes, what if we put bluegrass music to that tasting and play music from the time period or about the time period? I'm like, well, shit. And that's what we've done. It's taken that's, about four, four years to get that down, but it's really brings it to life it's an amazing uh performance and if you get on youtube you can see a bit of it but i highly encourage you to to try to chase bernie down and see this performance live because it's educational it's fun fun. you get to drink a lot of bourbon in the meantime that's right um (laughs) you know as we wind down here i mean you've met so many legends in the whiskey world uh particularly the bourbon world is there anybody out there that uh that, that you haven't met yet in the food and beverage world that you just kind of your bucket list like man i would really love to sit down and pick that guy's brain oh uh, tony abagavin i've 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 met but never really had a chance to really sit down and and really pick his brain and talk with him famous uh uh, mixologist um currently residing in las vegas still i believe in fact i was just in vegas last week and i learned on literally about three hours before i left that he was partnered on a uh, project down in mandalay bay that I needed a hit, but I, I missed out on it. So he's a good dude. I've I've been to a couple of functions um, where he's been at and been recruited to come in and yeah. speak mixology, and then hangs out afterwards. And I was at one thing in Texas, and uh, I think his USA had had sourced him, and then we all hung out and had dinner. And then afterwards, there was like an armadillo race. <laughs> Yeah, and this I don't think it sound odd for an event you were at. Yeah, yeah, and I, I really don't think I'm making that up. I think that actually happened. <laughs> I don't think I'm making that <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I, I distinctly was it remember. in Frankfurt, Germany, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. <laughs> were you trying to force the elevator door open to get to the armadillo race? <laughs> but there's, no, I mean, cool. there, there's so many good people in this industry. I'm sure there's people out there that um, uh, that you know. One one thing I wanted to point out, you know, people can drink at home. Uh, of course, they call you an alcoholic if you do, but but uh, uh, people can drink at home yeah. and Get they choose to go out. And there's one I, I when I do staff trainings and educations, there's one thing I tell people is in those trainings, you know, what does Winston Churchill, uh, 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 you know, Dean Martin, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, what does what do all these people have in common? They had their favorite place to go get a cocktail they had their favorite bartender and servers that they had these places and that's really cool you know there's somebody right now that is a favorite bartender of everybody you know you name the celebrity or the or the uh you know politician so what's your favorite bourbon drink it changes right now i'm on a boulevardier kick yeah Uh uh-huh so, That's um, a fantastic drink. It's great. It's great. It and is. I guess I could have said I could have said whiskey drink. I guess yeah. we could have expanded that out a little bit. <laughs> What's well, your just, favorite I, Kentucky straight well, bourbon I was just whiskey down to Mexico drink? On vacation, of course, I drink Palomas all damn day because it's just a great a pool drink and beach drink. Uh, yeah, that, you know, doesn't yeah. have all that acid in it, and you just drink them all day. 
Uh, but you know, I just like to sip the sangrita with the with the tequila. If I'm drinking whiskey, yeah. I love a remember the main. Uh, I love brandy, and I like cognac as well. We just came out with a bottle and bond brandy at uh, Heaven Hill, which is uh, going to be coming to this market probably next year. And That's pretty cool. It's the only bottle and bond great brandy in the world. Um, there's uh, Laird's apple brandy, but this is a great right. brandy. So uh, it's going to bring all those great drink, drinks like the sidecar and the yeah. And, um, what grape? Uh, they're they're like uh, it's. Yeah, French Colombard and uh, Thompson White Sealess. Uh, you make a you know a simple white wine, and then you distill that. It's out in California, uh, DSP CA three ninety nine, O'Neill, which is uh, makes Christian Google Brothers it. for us. So it's a million case brandy brand we oh, have. Oh, that's who and makes Christian so, Brothers. Okay, uh, and so uh, we just have you know so that's why we've got four year old one hundred proof Balam Bang great brandy called Sacred Bond. Keep an eye out for it. It's awesome. Okay. How long are you aged? Aged in, in uh, four years in uh, in California in once used Evan Williams barrels. There you go. All right. Yeah. So it's awesome. I mean, all of our brandies aged in Evan Williams barrels. So this we, we just happen to have it. We we thought of this. We just thought of the, thought of this a year ago. So we didn't think of it four years ago. We just happen to have it. We we already have a brandy brand. So do you guys awesome. have your own Cooper? We have four. We don't own our own Coopers. No. The only ones that do is uh, Brown Foreman because they have the right. You know. Jack, the big monster. So um, they have their own cooperage, and, and they've owned their own cooperage since the 60s. We deal with uh, mostly with um, McGinnis out of Cuba, Missouri, and Independent Stave in um, Missouri and Kentucky, Lebanon. And then we have a couple smaller ones, East Bernstead and Zach's. But uh, mostly it's, East, uh, it's uh, McGinnis out of Cuba, Missouri. All to the same standard. We uh, char number three, and um, uh, works great for us. Well, before we wrap up, um, so we can finish this bottle without having to worry about uh, our listeners listening to the slurping sounds. Uh, where can our listeners buy your book? Uh, you can go on barnesandnoble.com. You can go on uh, my website, whiskeyprof.com. If you want a signed book, go to my, my website. But you can go to barnesandnoble.com. Uh, they have them. Yeah, get yourself uh, a Amazon. It's on signed, Amazon. Uh, they're a, a lot cheaper book. than my website, but you don't get a signed then. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, and then uh, in Kentucky, you can buy them at Barnes and Noble stores um, uh, themselves. But up here uh, in Indiana, it's going to be through the websites. So uh, definitely check out whiskeyprof.com, uh, which is short for Whiskey Professor, because this this man great, is the he is the whiskey professor. <laughs> but a lot of what we've talked about today uh, is available in articles on his website. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's got it broken down Absolutely. into whiskey 101, 201, 301, 401. So for yep, those so of you who just couldn't get enough of your continuing education. Uh, it's a lot more fun. And the name's on a label. And when you come down to Louisville and visit the distilleries or Kentucky, it's got a great article, Where the Cool Kids Go on Certain Nights to Go Listen to Live Music, Eat, Drink, all that stuff. Perfect. So all the inside. Actually, scoop. I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and I took uh, uh-huh. some of your advice and headed over to Station, Station N. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I got that from you. Um, <laughs> and last question. Um, I think it's. I think I'm good. I mean, that's, oh. What's your hangover oh, cure? Oh, shit. Yeah, never mind. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Well, usually Arthur is the one reminding me. Reminding but uh, you. Uh, <laughs> do you have a particular hangover cure? Oh, this is my dad's hangover cure. It's um, it's um, um, uh, half tomato juice, like V8, or tomato juice, half beer. Okay. I haven't heard that one before. That, yeah, that's a new one for us. <laughs> I, I haven't tried it either, so I... It tastes uh, like beer. No, yeah, I, don't, I don't knock anything. Believe it or not, it tastes like beer. Exactly. <laughs> and it works. Yeah. Well, thanks, He also Bernie. did uh, orange juice and half soda. 
Half orange juice, half soda water. Wow. I, just, I like the tomato juice, half beer. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I prefer the tomato <laughs> juice and beer. I'm going to go vegetable <laughs> ruse, right, versus orange juice and soda. That sounds better than vitamins and Advil. I'm just going to, eh, give me another beer. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Right. I've, been, I've been in Miami with you. I know your hangover cures. Oh, another good. half pint of whatever alcohol is around, regardless if it's a neutral grain spirit. Ixnay on the <laughs> hangover may. <laughs> Um, so I, this is this has been awesome, very insightful. I love the historical relevance that you, you bring to it, and the, the application of, of speaking to labels specifically and addressing all the the technical information that thank is you, out sir. there. Um, it's been a pleasure to meet you. I don't think we've we've met before, so thank you very much. No, it's been a lot thank of fun. I've, like I said, I've read thank your you book, guys. and you're uh, like you have a real knack for educating people that don't understand. So anything that we've said today that sounds a little too technical, that's broken down in very 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 easy to understand terms in the book. Uh, and on Bernie's website, but um, you know, don't be intimidated by a label. Don't be intimidated by Embrace any label, it. Uh, whether it be wine, rum, bourbon. You know, everything out there. It's on there for a reason. It's there to educate you, so you can buy the right product and know what you're getting. And and Absolutely. Bernie helped to educate me not only today but in the past uh, through his bluegrass and bourbon and through his book about what to buy. So again, I want to express my gratitude for you yeah, to you joining us today. And thank you so thank much, you. Bernie. Arthur, thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Until next time, uh, you can visit us on uh, Facebook at Shift Drink Podcast. Also on Instagram at Shift Drink Podcast. And if you're uh, trying to follow us on Twitter, it's Shift underscore drink. Do you have any social media you'd like to throw I'm out there, Bernie? Bernie Lubbers on Twitter. I'm Bernie Lubbers on Facebook. Although I'm out of, I can't friend anybody anymore because I'm, 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 I'm a, you're too famous. Too many people. Um, and then I'm a whiskeyprop.com. Super. All right, whiskey professor. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.